And again, the, the, uh, the story goes that Ananias and, and Sapphira, a married couple, go to the church after seeing other people go to the church and offer up these offerings uh, from lands and possessions that they had sold. The Bible says that they were selling lands and possessions and laying it at the apostles' feet. And that way the, the people who were in need could be taken care of. The mission of the church could go on. And uh, evidently Ananias and Sapphira had a problem or envious or jealous or whatever. Something was going on in their life. They were different than what everybody else was doing. And so they come in uh, with this agenda. Ananias does first of all. And he goes to Peter and he says, hey, we got some money too. We sold some property and we have it. And uh, we saw that God revealed to Peter through the Holy Spirit uh, that he was lying. Ananias was lying. We're talking a little bit about how maybe he was understanding that other, other than discernment this morning. But um, so he says, you can't lie to God. Ananias thought maybe he was just going to pull one over on this man, this old fisherman that was leading the church at the time. And, and God said, no, this is my church. You're not going to do that. And so Ananias falls over dead. And the Bible says the young men come and grab him, take him off, bury him. And now we move on in the story this morning, and we see a really sad part. The sad part is no one gave the co-conspirator a heads up. You know, no one told uh, Sapphira, hey, uh, your husband's dead, you know. Uh, he... he uh, Whatever y'all had concocted before, you ca before he came to church, he died because of the lie that, that, that y'all put together. Didn't even give her a heads up. Verse 7 says this. Now it was about the space of three hours after <laughs> when his wife, not knowing what was done, came in. And Peter answered her unto her, tell me whether you sold the land for so much. And she said, yea, absolutely for so much. So again, Peter asks the sapphire, that her name is called, ask her if they sold the land for whatever, $5,000. Now this price, we know, matched the price of the husband when he came in and said, we sold land and, and this is the money we got from it. Because Peter asked her, is this how much you, you got from the land sell? Scripture doesn't tell us why she came in at this point, Right? I mean, common sense, or it would seem that if you were going to be a part of all of this, that the husband and wife would come in together, you know, or they would at least be there together, and, and maybe the husband would go up to Peter and, and present the gift uh, from the sale of the land. But we're not told why it was Ananias three hours before Sapphire comes in is the one that, that lays the, at the apostles' feet, and then later that day... <laughs> Sapphira comes in. Maybe she was wanting to come in and get a lot of fanfare for herself. Maybe they were talking about maybe she wasn't noticed among the other ladies. And maybe when she entered in after this big offering they gave to the, to the church, people would look and, and talk and, oh, wow, man, that's her. Her husband's the one that brought that huge gift. And they got so much money. They're amazing. That's awesome. Again, maybe that was the, the, the hope. I, I want to point out a couple things before we look at a couple of Kyle theories uh, this morning. And uh, the, the first one is this. We already talked about this. But how did Peter know that Ananias, Ananias was 
lying in the first place. We talked about when the Holy Spirit revealed it to him. He had filled the believers there. Yes, 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 yes. But how would Peter have been able to pinpoint that? Because God still uses uh, mankind. He allows us to use our brains. He allows us to use common sense. And that, again, is, as believers, infused with the Holy Spirit, the wisdom from God, the discernment that comes from the Holy Spirit of God. But I also believe, as we saw in Scripture, it was what was going on in the church. People were selling lands, and they were bringing the whole price of the land that they sold and laying it at the apostles' feet. So I believe Peter, not being an ignorant person, maybe a common man, but not an ignorant man, knew what the price of land was going for, right? He wasn't a real estate agent, but he, he knew after maybe four or five or six people came in and said, hey, we sold an acre of land, got, got $5,000 for it. Next person came in, hey, we sold an acre of land, got $5,000 for it. Here's $5,000. Hey, we sold an acre of land, got $5,000 for it. Okay, great, here's $5,000. After a while, Peter probably understood that's the going rate, if he already didn't know that already. So maybe Ananias, again, the Bible doesn't tell us this, but he comes in and says, hey, we sold two acres of land. We're bringing $7,000, brother. We got it all right here for you. And Peter thinks, two acres, 7000 maybe cut them a deal. No, that's not how that works. I don't know. Maybe that was kind of the, the process and, and, and the Holy Spirit revealing it to him. Or maybe this was God's church. This was God's business. There were church people, and maybe just maybe some, some word got around, right? That, that uh, Ananias and Sapphira sold two acres of land, and they got $12,000. Can you believe that? They got more than what everybody else is getting. That's amazing. And then Ananias comes boastfully in, and brother, we got a, got a big check for you here, $7,000. Peter thinks, that's what you sold the land for? Absolutely. Absolutely. All of the money laying here. Giving it to God. Praise the Lord. Peter says, you're lying. You're lying to the Holy Spirit. Again, this was God's business. When Peter left to himself. We know what Peter can get into. He get into a lot of trouble. But when God is in control, we know that nothing is going to fall down. It's going to be God's way. Again, I believe Peter would have fumbled this, like, I guess, what the Cowboys are doing this season. <laughs> we saw what Peter can do. But I think this is a very important point, yet again, in this example, for us to learn this morning. Number one is we are nothing without the Lord. Amen. We are nothing without the Lord. Peter could have got on his high horse. He's done that before, too. Peter could have got ahead of himself. Peter could have done all kinds of things. But what we, we realize is as a common man, as a fisherman, not a dumb man, but a man that was filled with the Holy Spirit, a man that God had put in place to, to lead. And, and, and these people were doing what God wanted them to do. And you take God out of the equation and they were nothing. They were, they were lost sinners, doomed and on their way to hell. They were not filled with power. They were not filled with wisdom. They were not filled with, with discernment. They were not able to do the things that brought glory to God. So we need to remember the same truth. This, this is still the reality for us today in 2020, is that we are nothing without the Lord. Amen. Peter was nothing without the Lord. Jesus told all of his followers that in John chapter 15. I love that set of scripture, uh, specifically the, the, the first uh, I think eight verses are, are really 
strong verses in John chapter 15. But in the middle of those verses, John chapter 15, verse 5, Jesus reminds them that. He says, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. In verse 8, he would say that that's what brings glory to God, is that we bear much fruit. But then he says this, for apart from me, you can do nothing. Again, if he is the vine and we are the branches, if we aren't connected to the vine, we can't do anything. There's no fruit. There's, there's nothing that comes from our life if we aren't connected to Christ. It's a good point this morning as well. It's not in your notes. But if we aren't walking with the Lord, if we're not in fellowship with the Lord every single day, we can do nothing of eternal value. We have got to be walking in the Spirit. We've got to be in, in, in connection with the Lord. Acts chapter 17, later in our study, we'll see this, but it says, For in Him we live and move and have our being. As even some of your own poets have said, we indeed are His offspring. But that first statement, in Him we live and move and have our being. Galatians chapter 6, Paul reminds the Galatians, if anyone thinks he is something, when he is nothing, he deceives himself. So again, we, we understand that while God use, uses people in great ways, and while God was using Peter in a great way, this point right off the bat, just a reminder of this encounter with Peter that Ananias has ha had and now Sapphira is having, it's not because Peter this is a great man, it's because God is using Peter in a way that brings glory to God, that advances God's kingdom. Just as we saw with giving, it's always God. It's always, he, he is the one that gives it to us. We are the one that returns it with joy. You know, the, the, the question that, um, or the, the reality that we have in our life is sometimes we get just running, going so fast, so busy, so wrapped up in things. I mean, it's, it's easy to do that, and, and, and part of that is the world that we live in, right? We have jobs, and we have family, we have activities, we have all these things that are going, but oftentimes we just get running and going in life and forget that we have no power to even breathe the oxygen that God is providing for us. We're not telling our lungs to do it. God has designed us to do that. It's His design. It's God's design. It's, 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 it's what God has set in motion, and it's what he is allowing in the purpose that he has determined before we were ever born. We are moving in accordance to God's design and God's will. Again, for without him, we can do nothing. It's all his design. Sapphira, maybe like some of us, got a little bit ahead of the Lord. Again, having conspired with her husband for whatever reason. And they had made this all about them. They had forgotten that without God, they were nothing. They were nothing. I think it's important for us not to forget. Again, as we live and we move, we have our being in him. I want us to be reminded that we are nothing without the Lord doesn't mean that we don't have value to God. Of course, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. God loves us, absolutely, but we need to remember every day that we wake up and that breath uh, comes to our lungs and oxygen is, is readily available for us and we're able to, to live and move, we need to remember it's with, it's with God that we're able to do that. 
Let's not get ahead of the Lord. Let's remember that we are nothing without him. This couple had to, tried to jip uh, the church, if you will, right? They were, they were trying to give a, a discounted gift so that they were still able to benefit. They, they missed the, the whole idea that, that when, when, when you give to God like that, he's the one that gives it back to you uh, and pushed down and running over, the Bible says, that he'll, he will give to your bosom. We, we forget about that. When we give our time, when we give our abilities, when we use our gifts in the church, when we, when we share uh, and, and give even financially, when, when we do that with a the, with the sincere heart and the right motive in our life, simply just giving to God and serving out of love, when we do that, God says, I'm going to add back to you in ways that you can't even imagine. It's not about the financial thing because God's like, money's nothing to me. Like, that, that's temporal stuff. I use it in the temporal world, but I will give to you riches that you could never have on this earth. And so, again, but it does include all of that. It includes our everything, our time, our talent, our treasure. So when we give to God like that, God's able to give back to us and push down. But this couple thought that they were actually going to jip the church. And in jipping the church, they were jipping God. Maybe had, they had a skewed vision of, of giving to the church. And very swiftly, God showed them it was his church. It's his kingdom. It's his mission. It's his agenda. Giving to and through the church is God's design, not man's. Man messes it up, absolutely. But giving to God is God's design. Going back to the Old Testament, to give to God was something that God commanded to show this is what you should be doing out of desire. It's not something that we say, well, we're no longer in the Old Testament, so we don't have to do that. No, no, no. The Old Testament showed us what Christ would reveal in this relationship with God was to, for us to lay down our everything to give back to God our all. And so when we give to the church, it's not because of what man wants. It's God's design. Had Peter or anyone else still today, if we or Peter then leading the Lord's church, take advantage of the giving and the gifts given to the church. God not only now holds those in leadership in severe account, but I believe that day when we stand before him, he will hold those in leadership in severe account. So it's not a light thing to, to think, well, I'm I just not going to do it because that's man. That's the, those, those, those guys out there. Listen, if Peter messed it up, he would be held accountable. If I messed it up or any other pastor messes it up, we will be held accountable. And that's not a, it's, the Bible says a fearful thing to fall in the hands of a living God. To face the judgment of God. Their hearts then, our hearts now, are simply to be set on living lives. In light of this truth that we are nothing, we are to be living our lives like that. And so we too give. So we too serve. So we too pour out everything for the church, that with the vision that God has set for the church, our lives are a part of that. Our lives are intricately a part of what God has designed. And the question with that is, are you, are we, are our lives intricately connected to the eternal vision that God has given to the church? With everything. Man, I'm, 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 I'm giving my time, my talent, my treasure. I'm fully in. I'm fully invested. I'm not holding back anything. I'm not doing like Ananias and Sapphira, trying to, trying to jip God, trying to 
trying to give God a little bit of tip of my time on Sundays. God gets a little bit of my abilities in, in, this, in this way on this day. God gets a little bit of my, my, my giving on, in, in this way as, as I want to give to him. Or are we like the, what seemed like the majority of that first church who said, you know what? As God has prospered us, just like Scripture says, we are going to give according to, as each man has. That's how we're going to give. The second thing I want to point out is this. What was Sapphira doing for three hours? What was this lady doing? She wasn't with her husband to present this amazing gift. Why wasn't she there? Well, I don't, I don't get it. I'll, here's a theory. I, I would submit to you today that in 2,000 years, not much has changed. I believe that Sapphira was probably doing her hair, her makeup, and her nails. Possibly getting the house ready in case anybody needed to come over and see this amazing stuff that God had blessed them with. Ananias, nothing has changed in 2,000 years. As a man, couldn't wait any longer. Maybe he, he, instant gratification. He had to go. He wanted to get some praise. He wanted it now. Men, kind of like shopping today, just get in, get out, get it done. Look, I'm taking the money up there. You want all that stuff, you can come later. You know. But Sapphira, no, she was going to get her entrance. So she let him go, kind of lay the foundation for the awe. Wow. Let it marinate for a few hours while she got ready. The impact of the gift would really have taken full effect by the time she showed up three hours later. And then she would be the center of attention at the temple. And that's indicative, maybe. She would be the center of attention at the temple of God. Now, I'm, I'm kidding about the makeup, maybe. I don't know. <laughs> I can't say dogmatically that's what Sapphire was doing. I just don't know what she was doing three hours. Maybe she had some bathroom problems. I don't know. <laughs> don't know what was going on with Sapphire. But three hours later, she shows up. There was a reason why she wasn't with her husband when they presented this gift. But the truth is this, she had no idea when she shows up at the temple that she was a widow at this point. So she, she was completely oblivious and her flesh, they were obviously in the flesh, they were obviously pleasing their flesh, they were obviously living by what was pleasing them in the flesh and she didn't realize that as she, they were living in the flesh and being motivated in the flesh that she had become a widow. She also in the flesh didn't realize that she would have the same exact opportunity that her husband had three hours before. When he stood there presenting the money before Peter, she could have said, just like Ananias could have said, in that moment when the account was given, is this what you sold it for? She could have said, you know what? No. That's not what we sold it for. We concocted this plan and we came up with this idea that we were going to we were going to sell this land and we we're going to bring this amount to you and, and say this is what we sold it for because we really wanted, oh man, we really wanted that new chariot that they're selling down at the new dealership. <laughs> so we thought we could just set aside that much money. That would be the down payment for the chariot. We really wanted that. 
but I'm sorry, no. That's not what we did. I've spent the last three hours doing my hair and makeup so that I would get this great praise when I walked into the temple. This work, this church, it's not about whether we get anything. I've realized that it's about the Lord and what he wants. Laboring for him and the privilege and the honor to give to him. So no, we actually sold it for this much. She had the opportunity, just like her husband, but just like her husband, whether it was glory hounding, whether it was envious, whether it was jealousy, whether it was self-centeredness, whatever it was, she stays with a deceptive, deceptive plan, just like her husband and her conspired to do. And then Peter reveals to her that same plot, that same lie that made her a widow would cost her life as well. In verse 9 he says, and Peter said to her, How is it that you've agreed together to tempt the Spirit of the Lord? Behold, the feet of them which have buried thy husband are at the door, and they shall carry thee out too. And she fell down straightway. Immediately she fell down at his feet and yielded up the ghost. She died. And the young man came in, found her dead, and carrying her forth, buried her by her husband. And verse 11, here we go again. And great fear came upon all the church. And upon as many as heard these things. So not only did fear wash through that church, every member of that church, but it also came upon those who heard those things that, have been, that were outside of the church. A holy reverence for, for God spread throughout the whole community, it appears. And I, I wonder this morning if our reverence for, for God, our reverence for His power, His holiness, is so evident and is so illustrated through our lives. I wonder this morning that that causes a reverence to spread across our land. You look at the world today, and I would have to say no. I just don't know that the fear of God in the lives of the people of God is being so vividly seen and lived out that there are other people, even lost people, that have a reverence from God. You know, I think that's probably one of the problems in society. There's a deficiency of the reverence of God. This deficiency, this absence maybe. You say, how? It's clearly seen in the schoolhouse. It's seen in the school system. It's seen in the court system. It's interesting. You can walk into a courtroom and it says, in God we trust, in the courtroom. And yet, many times there are decisions that are made with no fear of God at all. And again, sadly, I think the reason why there's no fear of God in these public areas is because the fear of God is, is waning in, in, the, in the church house. I wonder if we respect God, if we reverence God, if we fear him the way that we should, if we would give to God that reverence and that fear, that holy fear in this church house. I wonder if we would do that, what would happen, not only in this church, what kind of revival would spring forth, but I wonder what would happen in this community. And then what would happen after that if it spread to other uh, churches and, and, and other bodies? I wonder if, if when we truly got back to reverencing and fearing God, respecting him above all things and all people, 
what would happen? I ask you this, does, does our reverence and our fear of God show in our worship for God? When, when, we, when we lift our voices in song or whatever, when we give to God like we're seeing in this church, when, whatever the case may be, our acts of worship, does that show our fear, our reverence of God? Or are we like them? Do we hold anything back in presumption? God is an awesome God. He is to be feared. He is to be reverenced. And he will not share glory or honor with anyone or anything. Because all honor and all glory are his alone. That's what scripture says. And we, as the people of God, are partakers, joint heirs with Christ, sons and daughters of the Most High God, the King of all kings. We are part of him. Now, we are not the Most High, but we are a part of him. We are his family. Satan's downfall, what was Satan's downfall? He desired to strip God of the glory that God, that God alone had, and he wanted it to be his own. And this trait... This sinful trait, this fleshly trait, can still linger in us today. I want my way. I think God will be okay with this. I don't think it's a problem for that. Where's the fear of God? Instead of saying those things, why don't we say, God, what would you like me to do? God, what, what do you want from my life? God, if I do this, is this honoring to you? Let me seek your face. God, speak to me. Guide my heart. Don't let me be pulled away in the flesh. God, I reverence you. I fear you. I respect you. God, what do you want? Many times we just jump the gun. Many times we just say, I want to do this. And and they say, you know, what they say, well, I'm going to do it and then ask forgiveness later. No. What a horrible disrespect of God. But this trait that still wants to linger in our flesh, pulling us away from giving God all reverence and all glory, and for us grabbing a little bit of the the center stage for our own will to to be accomplished. Similar, again, to what Ananias and Sapphira, I want to be center center of attention in the temple. Sometimes we, we, in in the temple of the Holy Spirit, we we say, I want to be the center. I I want to be the one steering the wheel today because I really want to do this. That has to daily be mortified. The flesh does. It has to be brought into submission by submitting to the Holy Spirit that resides within every single believer. Colossians chapter 3 verse 5 says, Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. Mortify the members of your flesh. Put them to death every single day. Know that the flesh, just like Paul said in Romans chapter 7, know every single day the flesh wants to pull you in a direction that is going to please you, please your flesh. Give in to the temptations of Satan. The the flesh is going to do that every single day. The Spirit of God, that still small voice, is whispering, seek God, fear God, pursue God, sacrifice, submit, surrender, obey Give, serve, love. And the flesh is saying, but I really want this today. Galatians chapter 5 verse 24, and those who belong to Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. And so while we see Ananias and Sapphira, obviously 
were given to their flesh, obviously had conspired in the flesh, obviously were focused on what they wanted and what pleased them, it serves as a great reminder for us even today, 2,000 years later. Number two is that we must keep the flesh, the fleshly nature, dead. If we're Christians, we've already crucified the flesh. It's already been dead, and, 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 and the passions and the desires of the flesh are dead. But we've got to keep them dead every day because they want to take power every day. This morning, let's remember that this life, our entire being, our entire possessions are all, everything, or everything should be all for the glory of God. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, I love these verses. It says, for consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to the worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. Again, this couple, Ananias and Sapphira, have taught us several things. Things about ourselves, things to watch and be careful for, be on guard for. Tendencies, maybe, in the flesh that we may have. Things not to do. And we can learn a lot from people and things not to do. Maybe had they kept their flesh in check, maybe had they kept that flesh, those fleshly desires mortified of being the center of attention, grabbing glory, being exalted among men. Maybe that had they not sought what they wanted, maybe had they been all in for the glory of God, for the kingdom of God, serving and sacrificing and giving so that God was glorified. There's no telling what God would have done through their generosity, through their obedience, through their all-inness. Maybe the story would have gone differently. Maybe Ananias and Sapphira would have been, maybe they, their home was big enough to house a house church in those days. When the persecution started in Jerusalem and, and people started being scattered from the temple, maybe Ananias and Sapphira with their resources would have been a great blessing to the church. We don't know. But because they gave in to the flesh, we see what the, the, the severity of the judgment was. But what I love is even... Though they were judged, even though the, the, the severity of it was great, it was instant. The discipline was exercised by God so that God would be glorified. That's hard for us to wrap our minds around sometimes, but God, God didn't miss out. You know, they had, they had planned to get some glory for themselves. And what ended up happening is God began to be glorified even more in the church. God's not going to miss out on his, his glory. And his church didn't miss out. Well, if this doesn't happen, this is going to happen. No, no, no. This is God's church. Who missed out? The ones that were holding back. The ones that were keeping back. The ones that were operating in the flesh. They were the ones that suffered. So this morning, I want to ask you, are you keeping back any portion of what God has given to you? Are you just giving to God the bare minimum of your time, the bare minimum of your talent, the bare minimum of your treasure? Are you just, are you just doing or are you not doing anything for the Lord? Is this right here, this service, 
you're giving to God? Are you honoring him with the first fruits of all your increase? There are people today in this world that would literally die to have the freedoms we have right now. What are we doing with them? What are we doing as free Christians? How are we, what are we, how are we, how are we using these amazing fruits from God, blessings from God? Are you giving him your best? Let's not miss out like this couple. Man, how, what a sad story. You know, we're going into a brand new year. Praise the Lord. <laughs> Many people say, Lord willing. You know what? We have an opportunity right now to say, I'm nothing without the Lord. Just like point number one said. We have an opportunity to enter in this year, say, you know what? I'm going to consciously keep my flesh crucified so that my life is a vessel of honor for my king. Second Timothy says that. Now in a great house, there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay, some for honorable use, some for dishonorable. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself of what is dishonorable, he will be a vessel for honorable use, set apart as holy, useful to the master of the house, and ready for every good work. Let's determine as a church, as a people, that 2021 will be the year that we are the vessels of honor for God Almighty. Let's see a revival break out. It's going to start by that fear, that repentance, that all-inness, the things that we saw this morning. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this time. Thank you for, again, reminding us of such important truths in your word. And we know that we are nothing without you. God, we're all sitting here, we're all breathing oxygen that none of us created. You did. We're all, we're all sitting here and our, our lungs are, are working in perfect harmony with our heart and our brain and, 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 our, and we're able to breathe and to be alive because of your design. And most importantly, God, we are sitting here and we're spiritually alive because of what you've done. The death on the cross paying for our sins. The resurrection to life from the grave. It's all because of you, Lord. We are nothing without you. And Lord, I pray as we are here this morning that we'll also remember that our flesh, we don't have to remember, we all know that our flesh has such a strong pull. Whether it's in our mind or in our desires or hearts or just the, the habits that we fall into that pull us away from giving you all. And I just pray that you'll help us this morning, maybe dedicate anew, the mortifying of our flesh, the, the killing of those fleshly desires and tendencies so that we can be vessels of honor for you. As we finish this year and look into a new year, Lord, help us to remember these things and live them out in our life. And God, again, if there is somebody here that doesn't know you personally because they've surrendered their life to you, they've placed their faith in Christ, the death on the cross, the resurrection, Lord, I pray that before they leave today, they'll surrender their life to you. Lord, just move now as we respond in Jesus' name. Amen. If you'll stand. For a few minutes, as he plays, I want to encourage you to come.